Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two co-hosts Mike Morandi and Dave Glanz. Say hello gentlemen. Hello Hello, gentlemen. gentlemen. You can actually cheers now or no? (laughs) Cheers. No, No, yeah, why not? Okay. (laughs) Bonus Foley effects in this episode (laughs) of the Reviewed Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about classic movies and review them in a modern cinematic context. Uh, If you want to reach us on the web you can do so at reviewedpodcast.com at facebook.com slash reviewed podcast or email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. So I think that about covers it. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about LA Confidential. This is Mike's Choice. This is a film that came out in 1994. 1997. Come on. All right, cool. (laughs) And it's a film noir-ish type movie. Neo-noir. Neo-noir. Neo-noir that takes place. on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's a movie that takes place in 1950s Hollywood. It uh, has a very phenomenal cast. It's famous for its cast because it's so mm. populated with uh, great actors, including Russell Crowe, um, Guy Pearce, Guy Pierce, mm-hmm. Kevin, Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey and Kim Kate Basinger, Basinger, Danny DeVito. The DeVito, DeVito. Mm-hmm. who looks like a goblin. <laughs> um, is he really that short? He really, he is. really is. He's yeah. a freakishly short man. Mm-hmm. Um, hush, hush. And this is uh, and the basic plot of this. Uh, I don't know. This is a tough movie to encapsulate in a plot. So does anyone no, want to tackle three, that? Three detectives are I'll bet broiled we could, in a I, case. I bet if we really tried, we could probably. It's basically out. trying to unco- uncover a drug ring or a string of murders in L.A. between three detectives. One is sleazy. One is upright and uh, upright man of the law, and the other mm-hmm. one is a uh, kind of vigilante. Hothead. Sure. That's Hot a good head. way to put yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. Untangling the web of lies and deceit mm-hmm. in the underbelly of LA in the 1950s. That sounds oh. like a paperback cover. Yeah, well done. Great. Well done. Not from Wikipedia. <laughs> so that's what the movie's about. Um, this movie uh, was uh, won a screenplay for best Oscar. Uh, won an Oscar for best. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh and screenplay. And the, and the screenplay for Best Oscar goes to. Um, it won an Oscar for Best Screenplay, and Kim Basinger was awarded Best Supporting Actress, if I'm not mistaken. Nominated for nine. Correct. I think only won two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was beat out in every category by Titanic. Mm-hmm. It was a heavily lauded film, though, that year. Um, and I uh, I remember not watching it at the time, and I think I caught up with it when I was in college. That was the first time I saw it. And um, You were probably, what, like sixth grade when it came out? I was like I was, two. I was in eighth grade when this movie came <laughs> and out. I was sixty-three, as we all know. <laughs> Dave's hobbling around, and ripe old age of seventy-five now. I like how in the mythology of the podcast, Dave gets older every episode. <laughs> he does. Well, I get older and younger and older, but yeah. sounds better yeah. every podcast. I, exactly. He does have the best voice on the podcast. <laughs> the golden voice. Um, so, Mike, you're the one who suggested we watch this movie. So, I'm just going to throw it to you real quickly to yeah. start us off. A, why did you suggest this movie? Because I know you haven't seen it before. And what did you think? Well, first of all, I thought it, I didn't know it was L.A. I thought it was La Confidentiale, which was a, it was a French <laughs> film. So completely, completely wrong movie, unfortunately. Um, uh, it wasn't bad. Is that what? joke written in your No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. He's, been right sitting, the cuff, man. he's been saving it up. No, I, <laughs> he's been sitting on that for two weeks, guys. <laughs> That's, okay, anyway. Um, no, I saw this. It was probably sophomore year of college. I saw a clip. I think it was a scene at the end when they're. Um, it's either when Bud is going after uh, and Bud is played by Russell Crow. Russell Crow mm-hmm. going after uh, Guy Pierce, or it's when they're dangling the DA out the window. I forget exactly which one. But I stepped into a room with my, my fellow film major, and they were watching a movie, and it was that scene. And I was like, "Oh, what are we? What are we watching here?" He's like, uh, L.A. Confidential, only the best movie ever made. <laughs> so from that day, that was probably 2002, 2003. It's been mm-hmm. over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting to see this movie. I've been meaning to see it. I've been mm-hmm. wanting to see it. Mm-hmm. I just never got around to doing it. Um, but it's been on my mind for a while. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really worth the wait, I think. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. Loved oh, it. Good to hear. Um, so your, um, your roommate, who's the, Simps- uh, the comic book guy from The Simpsons... <laughs> He was correct. It was the best movie of all time. Yes. Well, I, I, you know, who can say really if it's the yeah. best movie? But it, it was. I think it's phenomenal. I think uh, it really. I th- the plot is good, but I don't think that's what sets it apart. I think it sets it apart. I think it's the. Um, I see the acting and the character development. I think the characters are what makes this movie what it is. I think it's the plot is necessarily. Um, anything special in terms of like you know the the noir film kind of with like you know the the hidden bad guy or the, the plots twi- plot twists and turns and all that I feel like that's pretty run of the mill for the most part. But what makes me really care about the story is the characters in it. I think they're so well developed and they're so um, 
I think they have such depth to them. Um, and, and very similar to we were talking about a couple podcasts ago, uh, The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. I think you have two diametrically opposed characters who you really, really care about. You have Guy mm-hmm. Pierce and you have Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, who I think were largely undiscovered at this point. Mm-hmm. I think this was like their first major movie. So, I mean, the director really got a two for one like mm-hmm. with two known yeah. actors. And they, yeah. they really... Um, and I think it was just such an emotionally... Uh, satisfying moment where you see these two characters you really care about at odds with each other for the most part mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie when they come together at the end after like beating the tar out of each other and then mm-hmm. they come together and they realize like alright you know what we see what's going on right. them coming together and fighting on the same side was the scene with we'll get there later but the scene um, in I guess it's that motel or whatever it is um, mm-hmm. uh, the hotel victory yes 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 yeah. yes mm-hmm. is one of the most emotionally satisfying scenes I was sitting there I don't really get worked up at movies I was mm-hmm. sitting there like pumping my fist every time mm-hmm. I shot fired a shotgun I was just mm-hmm. like oh got him yeah right 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 so um yeah it always it, it's always interesting when two characters that are at odds with each other end up having to come together at, you know, yeah and when that's done well i mean and, like, yeah, and they do it in a way that's believable you're like okay i could see why they would join for and they're not in love with each other they don't love mm-hmm. you know but they have a certain respect for each other and a certain right. understanding um you know what it kind of reminded me of it's funny it's another russell crowe movie uh 310 to yuma the end of that oh movie, yeah where they kind of yeah, yeah, come yeah. together at the end yeah i was never other. that pleased with the way russell crowe uh turns at the end of that movie still conceptually they <laughs> yeah. I, I, we yeah. talk, we, that might be a decent that is a good movie though podcast anyway for for not to just derail yeah. your entire <laughs> no no that's fine that's fine um and yeah, i mean that's pretty much it I, I think it was really well done i, I want to talk a little bit later about the color and the costumes i think again that's something I, just a lot of thought went into it and i think it's really really well done so mm-hmm. that's we can unpack that later extrapolate that after we get through the, the so media, dave but. you being the uh biggest cinephile on the show when did you first see the movie? Oh, uh, yeah. Were you familiar with it? And uh, does it still hold up in your opinion? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. I don't, I don't know if that's the proper way to answer your question. Um, uh, 1997, I was coming back from... So let's, just, let's just take a trip back to 1997. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, my Dave last, had his Jenko <laughs> jeans on, his plaid shirt. Last, my last year of college, I, I had actually just come back from the Semester at Sea program, which is this uh, program where you get to travel around the world. So I come back. Dave and, saw the world. And Titanic is opening. I'm like, oh, I like James Cameron, and but I've heard this is kind of a disaster. So that's kind of the movie of the moment. But <laughs> it's, it's a disaster. I heard the movie <laughs> disaster. is a disaster. disaster. Oh, get it, get it. And largely by critics. Right, Dave right. Glantz. No, no, no. It ended up being uh, praised, obviously, by critics. And... Um, Anyway, there were other movies coming out that were also making a big splash, and this was one of them. Like, oh, it, I see what you did there. Oh, God. I'm, oh. Not, I'm not trying to make Titanic, Titanic did make a here. big splash. It's too soon. <laughs> oh, man. my God. That was the sound of everyone closing iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I swear we're talking about LA Confidential. Uh, so LA Confidential was one of those one of the big movies of the fall that you know it, it didn't open when I came, I came back in December. Uh, it had opened, I think, in the, in the maybe September, October. But uh, I remember hearing about it, you know, just reading in newspapers on, on my trip and thinking, wow, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see it. So I saw it in the theater with a friend. Um, and I can't, and I don't know if I'm remembering correctly, but uh, if you're out there, Kathy Lobig, I think I saw it with you. Shout um, out. Pl- uh, Kathy. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, wow, that was really good. I barely understood this movie, <laughs> but I think it was awesome. And, uh, and so in the, following years I, I saw I've seen this movie a bunch of times I can't say how many times but it's one of those movies that's always on and when it's on I usually it's like you know I'll have to sit there and watch it I'm like wow I can't is this scene coming up but I can't remember I think oh I can't wait to see this next part so uh, I'm always anticipating what's going to happen next with this movie this is the first time in a while I've sat down and watched it all the way through. I actually went out and, and bought it because I thought, well, you know, this is I know this is a great movie. Good choice. This is a, a good thing to have on my shelf. I'm, yeah. I'm proud to display it. <laughs> so I kind of lived this movie this weekend a little bit because there's a lot of good special features on the DVD. And uh, I watched it with the director's commentary. And uh, it's not the best director's commentary. It's one, it's not scene specific, so they kind of it's kind of scattered. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I mean, I... I, I think it's one of those movies that has grown in, in my estimation over time. I think it's uh, held up very well. Uh, I look back at it and I can you can understand why Russell Crowe was about to become a big star by seeing yeah. this movie. You can understand why Guy Pierce was about to have the career he had. Yep. And uh, this was Kevin Spacey kind of at the peak of his powers. You didn't mention yeah. Kevin Spacey. He was, you know, watching his performance in, in like House of Cards now and other things that he's been in. I still think he's a very good actor, but I think back then he was really kind of like firing on all cylinders. I mean, he was really he was good great, at playing yeah. this kind of Dean Martin slick 
kind of kind of character. And what's and, cool, uh, real quick, I want to talk about. Before sure, I forget, go ahead. Yeah, the poster is interesting because you would think Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce would be two main characters would be up front. Mm-hmm. Since they're so unknown, they had to go with the big name, Kim Basinger, mm-hmm. with like a low cut dress, you mean of course. Like boobs. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. Boobs, Kim, boobs. Kim boobs <laughs> and uh, and. Um, Kevin Spacey in the background, right. which were really minor right. characters. I mean, Kevin Spacey is a, well, that's a significant a, that's role, but compared to the other two. That's the twist. And we should also mention James Cromwell plays a significant role in this movie. He's the... Um he is Dudley Smith, the police captain, and uh, he had just been nominated for uh, an Oscar for the movie Babe, which was an Dave's excellent movie. Dave's awesome. favorite movie my of favorite, all time. Well, it's my favorite family movie. That's not anime. No, that's not what you said last time. You said Dave, it was your favorite movie. you bring movie. up Babe like every other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's Dave's next, Dave's next. <laughs> at some point, we will be talking about Babe. I think I, it's no been doubt. built up too much at this point. No, yeah. no, it hasn't. No. I think it's been underbuilt. I think we're going to be overwhelmed. <laughs> underbuilt. I think he has not given it its due. I don't think something could be underbuilt, but whatever. So, in conclusion this is a great movie about talking pigs and cops right so <laughs> ah pigs cops. <laughs> pigs cops get oh, oh my god, god. oh dave's uh, full of them tonight i'm just full of, no one's gonna want to listen to this episode anyway this is a great movie this i mean that, that i'll just sum it up i mean this movie is just it's 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 hard to find too many flaws with it i, I feel like yeah. it's uh um you know it's it's very economical uh it, it never feels like a scene is misplaced it uh it, it i feel like it moves brilliantly there are some acting choices that sometimes i can't say specifically what feel a little bit off to me but of course uh, you could o- overall i mean i feel like um like uh it's it's really interesting and in that the plot is is dense and complicated but i don't feel like it's uh it's dense and complicated without being able to dig into it. It doesn't fall apart when you start to dig into it. Yeah, and I and, feel like I was able to keep a, at least a loose grasp on it as I went through it. I had to stop right. and rewind a couple of times. Right. For the most part, we were, I was able to keep up with it. It wasn't going too fast. You're like, wait, well, I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm, I'm out of it. You know, right. I think they, they right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they do a good job of taking these three main characters and, and seeing them on kind of different paths and how they come together and then how that kind of, um, you know, it all plays into the theme of the movie, which is about make believe and and, and how uh, we want appearance we, versus reality. Appearance versus yeah. reality, right? We want we want uh, the police department and, and justice to appear one way, while you know things are kind of simmering under the surface. Mm. And, and uh, I think there were a lot of things in the movie that kind of played to that theme really well. So I let Ivan take it away. Um, I feel bad saying this, but <laughs> I didn't love it. Uh, oh. No. <laughs> Well, um, I like this. Good. Yeah, this is good. I mean, I have seen it before, and I remember watching it. Um, well, see, I mean, there's a lot of boobs in this movie. I don't know what you didn't like about this. Okay. I, I really don't. Well, first off, low cut dresses. Let's let's get to the heart of the matter. Kim Basinger mm-hmm. is no Jennifer Connelly. It's just that's that's fair enough. Uh, oh, but yeah, uh, any, is... anywho, um, <laughs> getting back to the movie, I think this movie gets better the more you watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of as the runtime goes on, I mm-hmm. think the third act of this uh-huh. movie is flawless. I love the third act of this mm-hmm. movie. Like you were saying, when they come together and join up, I think that's brilliant. I think and. I can't fault the movie because it spends a good it's very efficient about how it puts all those pieces together because in order yeah. for that moment to happen but the first half hour I was really lost when mm. I was watching the movie because I was like what's the conflict here like who am I supposed to be rooting for which one of these three guys is my protagonist because Bud's not your protagonist because he's too hot-headed. Um, Exley isn't your protagonist. Guy Pierce's character. He's too much of a good He's too much of a good yeah. You kind of hate him. Kevin Spacey's too sleazy. Too sleazy enough to So yeah. as the movie was getting, go- you know, I think that I think that's very cool that the movie does that. But it's hard. It was hard for me to really grasp like the through line. And even when the um, the night owl murders occur in the movie. I guess that's like the inciting incident that really puts the plot forward. But until that point, I feel like there was. It felt like we were going yeah, from it, scene to scene, and they weren't connected and related. It's, and, it starts um, out kind of where it's like a commentary on just again, like the idea of appearance versus reality. We go into this whole one, like this this narrated by um, Dan, Dan DeVito. DeVito. This wonderful image Which of I Hollywood, little, and then we go into the. I found that a little too on the nose and too much. Hmm. The ah. way he, because no one when they write says it out loud and they cut back mm-hmm. to him on the typewriter being like you know t- like speaking it out as he types it no one does that yeah but that's just but that's his I, I, I feel style. like if anyone did that character would be the guy who does it you okay, know what that's I mean a fair I, he's, point. I think he's full of himself but I think yeah, it starts out where it's just I think the first uh, maybe half hour or so is really more of a look at LA and, and mm-hmm. what you know this wonderful image that everyone wants but is it like that? Dot dot dot. And you go into the scenes of like, oh my god, this place is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of, I, I was invested in the sense of like, you're you're seeing what the reality is here, how things are going behind the scenes. Yeah, I think I think that the more I reflect on it, 
like as the movie was over, I was like, yeah, that was awesome. But getting to that point where yeah. I was loving it, it, I have to admit, it took me a little bit to get there. And, and I think it's because there's not no strong plot, like you're saying. There's no it's all character at that point. And it become it does become a strong plot once the night right. owl murders happen. I think the movie really gets in gear. Yeah. I think getting to that point takes a little while. And I wasn't totally. I didn't buy some character motivations in the film. And maybe there's one I didn't either. Yeah. There's a there's a couple actions that are very important to the movie that I just did not buy. I think um, we're probably going to agree on this one. I okay. Think. So yeah. what, what do you think I'm thinking about? I think you're thinking about actually the, uh, sleeping, actually with, sleeping with Kim yes. Absolutely. Yeah, that yeah, scene that, does not work for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that, I would and agree. It, it, it makes sense in retrospect because obviously she wants to have sex with him because she's using it as blackmail material. Mm-hmm. See, my my the way I interpret it is that she had no choice. She was being put on on the spot her by her boss. Her motivations in that scene work for me. It seems his, a rush. His, no, he wouldn't have. There was no way. That's not his character. He would not have done that. He's especially, he's way too straight laced. The only motivation I could possibly see was that his inferiority complex to Bud. I think he has that, but they didn't play that up enough at that point. Yeah, and I, I just mean, don't think his character would be that kind of person that would do that. I think I sh- can, she should have seduced him, mm-hmm. and then it, then it would have been fine. It's a exactly. quick fix. Yeah. Exactly. In that scene, I feel like she should have been the aggressor, not him. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been more interesting, and I think that would have actually made a lot more sense. Okay. Um, the other thing is, I think they reveal it as the movie goes on, but in the movie, the central relationship the the romantic relationship is between kim basinger's character and bud white Mm. uh russell crowe's character and to be honest i didn't quite get why they got together i get it at the end but to begin with i was like this happened a little bit quickly for me Mm -hmm. Um, yes and to the point where i kept on thinking she was playing him uh from the very get-go because i was like there's no way that she actually feels this, this way about him and that's it's actually interesting because i felt the opposite and i i, I think i can tell you why i felt the opposite when we talk about lighting mm-hmm. that scene where they where they uh first have sex that is shot it's the warmest scene in the movie it's shot with orange light nowhere else in the movie is that anything like that so i feel like emotionally for me that scene was so well shot that it seemed so wonderful and happy and warm in this in this landscape of like cold sickly colors mm-hmm. i think for me emotionally i was like i just bought it and mm-hmm. i think but i agree with you it did happen fast with very little reason why it could have other than she just fell in love with the guy well it's mm-hmm. interesting that you bring up the lighting situation because when bud first visits her in her his apartment there's a big show of her opening up the drape so it goes from being like this dark like mm-hmm. sex cave and mm-hmm. then she opens it up and it's all lit by <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, natural light and everything so yeah. i thought that was kind of an interesting yeah. um there's a lot of well. black and white light and dark in the movie mm-hmm. um and Chiruscurio. yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> however you word. say that, I would <laughs> actually, I would actually disagree a little bit Chiruscurio. about about that because listening to a lot of what Curtis Hansen, the director, had talked about, it seems like what they were they're going for a more naturalistic kind of look to this movie. He was saying uh, it, before they started, he didn't want this movie to have the look of movies that took place at that time. If you go back yeah, and they watch make it, yeah. film noir movies, you know, or, or more stylish movies, like say <laughs> the one extreme would be like Sin City, where it's like as, as stylish as you can get. Or um, you know maybe something like Blade Runner, which is also very stylish, but not in the same way. You know, it's, it's not stylized for sure, but they still make use of it. I think like, right. it, it, it doesn't look unrealistic. Right. It looks realistic, but I think they still employ a lot of the yeah. similar techniques with lighting. I mean, the, the lighting. I agree, the lighting is fantastic. I mean, I think the cinematography is fantastic. Dante yeah. Spinotti, uh, Dante Spinotti, uh, uh, is the uh, cinematographer, and he uh, shoots a lot of Michael Mann's movies and does some amazing uh, work with, uh, especially at night. I think, and. Um, he, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing that flashy about this movie, and that's oh, <laughs> honestly, that was a podcast foul. Ivan, uh, please silence your phone. Penalty before. box. I want to apologize to our audience. My racquetball partner wants to know. Um, All right, we're on air. We're on air. Let's uh, let's just put that phone back in the pocket. We're going to cut to a little bit of the LA Confidential score here, ladies and gentlemen. Well, uh, is the score really significant? No, no, no. I'm just trying to think of a way to kind of avoid this awkward, <laughs> awkward oh, situation. It's yakety sax. You just play yakety sax. It's, it's simple. <laughs> no, but the look of this movie is is it's very crisp. I mean, but I think it goes with the uh, kind of the just the overall idea of this movie that you know the dialogue is just there's nothing in here that's that's fussy it's all just kind of like let's get to the point let's get on to the next scene i'm going to say what i need to say you say what you need to say um and uh, nothing feels like it doesn't fit in this movie i mean maybe it doesn't work but everything kind of you know to me kind of fits in in its place um so uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't really want to talk about the lighting too much, but um. no, it is. It's worth mentioning because the movie does look phenomenal. Right. Um, and I was watching it. I don't know how you guys watched it. Um, how did you watch it, by the way? Just Blu-ray up. Amazon um, living room. I would have liked to have seen Blu-ray because I got the DVD through Netflix, and it's a crappy like uh, standard definition transfer. It's not. Okay. It doesn't look as good as it should because the movie is re- really well shot. Yeah. Um, the thing about 
it's funny we've talked a lot about movies on this podcast that sh- share this milieu i feel mm. like like we've t- mm. i mean this takes place later than a lot of the movies we've covered but mm. if you think about like who framed roger rabbit and miller's crossing yeah and, and uh, uh, mid-century gangsterish movies and even the rocketeer <laughs> road, yeah. to all these road to perdition all these, we've yeah. really we've really knocked the gamut out of this type of genre for some reason on this show but yeah of that, of all those movies, I feel like this is the one that is the most adult mm-hmm. a, a film in the, oh, yeah. in the sense that um, yes, because yes. in comparison, to Miller's Crossing, I think Miller's yes. Crossing is heavily stylized. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. and I don't think this is quite as stylized. I think it's mm-hmm. more naturalistic. Okay, more, more realistic. You're saying more, unless, maybe more okay. more realistic is I guess mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for. Miller's Crossing is a more playful movie. I would say this is this is this is it's playful, more, but it's not a little in the bit same more, way. Uh, play like car- not cartoony, but mm-hmm. I, I think I know what you mean like more. Uh, um, I think it's less convention. More caricature characters. Like the characters yeah. are kind of they play into roles. Exactly. This is a lot right. more realistic. There, there are no like super yeah. super dolly shots into a guy screaming for for whatever reason. Right, right, right. Not right. that I don't love it. I do in Miller's Crossing, or but even it wouldn't just be appropriate the way that the Cohens play with dialect. I mean, that's not in this yeah. kind of movie. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's almost like this is the kind. And it's there's like almost no jokes too. By the way, it's like I think there's one point where there's some kind of confidential. Oh, there's plenty of there's, jokes. There's the joke where he uh, he there's mistakes one. the that one. That's the one. That's like the only what moment you, of, what you, of what are you saying? He mistakes. He thinks it's a hooker. Oh, it's actually the actress, right? Yeah, and that's a real life uh, situation. I think Johnny Stompanato actually uh, did date. Um, Lana Turner, right? Yeah, yeah it was Lana Turner. I mean, that's the, that's one of those scenes that play. I remember seeing wait, 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 on TV. Wait, the actors and, played, or those are actual characters in real life? In real life, those not. I mean, in the fifties, that gangster, that dated actual Lana gangster, Turner. dated. Wait Lana a second, this is based off of real character, like real. Well, people? that particular situation was Mickey a real Cohen's situation. Mickey Cohen's a real guy too. And Mickey Cohen, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. There were some some actual things woven into the, the, okay. the fiction of the movie. Um, um, but yeah, like. It's fitting this movie was nominated for so many Oscars because I feel like this is the kind of movie the Academy wants to reward. It's right. a very I, this is going to sound like a this is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. It's not meant to be. It's a it's like a standard movie. It's a mm-hmm. good movie where mm-hmm. you know good characters, good plot, but it's not it's not crazy stylized. It doesn't mm-hmm. take a ton of risks. I would say, mm-hmm. um, except for the fact of the whole joint protagonist thing, which is interesting yeah. to me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I think I I'm biting uh, I'm I'm. I'm proving myself wrong, which is obvious, uh, on this podcast. Because I think before I said it's rare to see a movie where... When we were talking about The Fugitive, I said it's rare to find a movie with dual protagonists. And I just mm-hmm. found another one, this movie. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you really... I mean, you could say all three. I mean, Kevin Spacey's character included. I mean, they're all yeah. three, like, if you want to call, call them the protagonists. I mean, really, it's... Uh, part of what this movie's about is how each one of these characters kind of has a flip side, right? So Kevin Spacey is sleazy, all, yeah. but he finds his moral compass, right? All so three it, of them kind of go from bad to good, which is unusual. Right. No, no, not even quite. I mean, so Ed actually goes from like, okay, he's good. He wants to, you know, he won't take a payoff. He won't participate in this kind of a beating of uh, Mexican uh, prisoners at the beginning of the movie. But then, you know, Guy Pierce's character, Ed actually kind of, he does some things where he's like, okay, so he really has his career uh, foremost in his mind, and he'll do anything to like get to the next step. So, in the first half hour, he's willing to like sell out uh, other cops, even if it's the right thing mm-hmm. to do. It may not be, um, you know, uh, it, it might be the I, legal I, thing to do, but it might not be the morally correct thing to do. I well, no, I think it's a morally correct thing too. But I think it's as far as likability. I think every character has something you don't like about them. And I think right. actually, I. I always come down on the side of guys who were doing the honorable thing or the right thing, the, mm-hmm. even if it's unpopular, but still I had a hard time liking him at some points because he just seemed so like stiff. He was a yeah. little bit unemotional, a little, the, bit, the a little bit cold. When everyone's running into the jail and he's like, whoa, gentlemen, let's stop mm-hmm. here. Let's think about this. And they're just rushing past him. He's like, oh, this, this nerd. Yeah. And then is, Russell yeah. Crowe's character is it's the same thing. I mean, you have, you know, this guy who comes off as like, okay, like we, we, we can attach ourselves to him because he wants to beat up women beaters and who doesn't want to beat up like, uh, guys who beat women i mean it's yeah. you can, that, it kind of gets you on his side immediately but then you know they show him like uh beating innocent uh prisoners or not innocent prisoners but prisoners that that don't deserve beating and right hitting women and and, and right and he ends up and hitting Kim but, I think, so, but that's but that's not the that's something that happens to much like i think everyone at some point starts out in a bad spot mm-hmm. get worse all mm-hmm. them all three of them get worse what's his name is responsible for killing kevin spacey is responsible for the, the uh the young actor's death mm-hmm. he hits a woman who is like is, is his worst thing he can do based mm-hmm. on his character and then actually right yeah. actually works his system to get what he wants right so all three of them kind of realize that and then they kind of come right. back around and, and well yeah. the thing i think that's most interesting about the movie um is talking about morality and i think mm-hmm. that's a a huge mm-hmm. part of this movie is morality. Like what is good? What you know? You know the mm-hmm. whole idea of shades of gray when it comes to um, morals. 
I think it's really interesting because Bud White in a in a different movie, Bud White is your hero mm-hmm. because he in many movies he is. Yeah, he's the guy that he's you know that he's he's tough as nails and he's not a square and he's cool and, and, he's, he, and he doesn't play by the rules mm-hmm. and, and sometimes in many movies the rules are portrayed as something that's bad and needs to be it's it's it, too limited and it needs to be but he yeah. crosses the line when he shouldn't mm-hmm. uh, right. all the time in the movie and i feel like that's a very interesting choice you're like but as i started watching this I'm like but if he's my excuse me if he's my hero he shouldn't do that like mm-hmm. he shouldn't be the guy that's you know hitting this guy for no reason or mm-hmm. or that kind of thing so i think it's very interesting how they they give you almost like the stereotype of what that hero should be and kind of take it away from you a little mm-hmm. bit yeah make you look at it like is this really what you like is this what you yeah, yeah did you really want a guy to be like this because he's yeah. also kind of a jerk when he goes yeah too because far. at some point even the point where he's beating the women beaters i'm still like yeah dude that's right but then after a while you're just like ah, something about this isn't right either like he's a hired muscle he's beating guys up he, you know he shoots the uh the guy who raped the woman right um, without right. him even giving a ch- like he he right. pretended it was you know uh, in self-defense, right, and it's a morally kind of tricky situation there because it's like it's hard hard not to want to see a character do that because it's like you're living out your your uh, your yeah, revenge you fantasy through the other room it, and I, you're like, yeah. I think that's a very interesting thing because we have these I like you think about revenge fantasy movies and I think this movie doesn't give you what you want. It's not like it's not like Kill Bill or a movie right. where, that gives you that visceral satisfaction of getting bloody revenge. It's Which more, I like because I think that's more real. I don't mm-hmm. think that there is anything such as a good feeling revenge. I feel like anyone that does commit some revenge feels in some way bad about it. I don't think you can feel oh, good about it. Oh, I can testify. Red. I mean, I've, yeah. I've committed all kinds of revenge acts. And- we can tell. The scars <laughs> in your face. The scars during this man's face and arms tell stories. Yeah. But I... In looking back, I think that's a real big, strong attribute of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the whole idea of shades of gray and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't want to jump too far. Is it okay if I jump to the end? Because there's another issue I had with the movie. Yeah, sure, yeah. Do it. Um, Bud White should not have lived. I'm mm. sorry. He's shot well, like it's, seven I, I, times. It's interesting that you say that. And that on the commentary track, someone does mention the fact that he 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 survives the movie, but he doesn't survive the movie. Okay, so he he just he lives right, but. His character kind of has to has to go to go to Arizona or whatever. He's not going to stay on the police force. He's not going to continue being. Um, yeah, there needs to be some kind of a right, change for him, right? right. So it, it's like, a, and, and but in a movie that is so good about not giving you the Hollywoodized version of something, mm-hmm. that is such a Hollywood moment of the guy. He's got just a bandage on his cheek, and he somehow. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this yeah. for it. The same by the same token, I felt that killing him would have also been the Hollywood because I, I just as far as when they were in the shack and they kind mm-hmm. of finished the battle. And they got up and they're both like, all right, we made it. I turned to my girlfriend at that point and I'm like, they're not, one of them is not going to make it. I'm pretty sure it's Bud. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he gets shot. And I'm like, there he goes. So like, I felt like I was expecting that to happen. And when they brought him back, I was like, I was happy. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, nice. He's there in the car and he's going to get the girl and everything is awesome. Mm-hmm. Because when Exley walks off with her after getting a medal and he's walking off, I was like, oh, come yeah, my girlfriend were both like, no, they don't no, that's not right. <laughs> and I think it's brilliant. They, they walk out arm in arm and you're just like, ah, oh, crap. Nope, he is with her. Nah, that I mean, sucks. I, I didn't really and have a problem with uh, Russell Crowe's character I, surviving. I enough enough uh, had been done i mean kevin spacey's character getting killed off in the middle of the movie and you know practically was a lower half he could have been paralyzed he could right. have been let's, severely let's talk about that actually mm-hmm. because that's a big that's a big ballsy moment in the movie that, well actually it's about taking uh, risks because I that was... it's like the idea of um it's it's as i equate it to the executive decision moment where they kill off steven seagal in the first 15 minutes <laughs> oh of the movie. great reference nice um, and that's like a huge movie that was like it's a steven seagal movie and he dies in the first 20 minutes yeah but kevin okay so kevin spacey gets killed off like maybe an hour and 15 into it that was Still, that was like in the first 15 but 20 this is at the moment when the plot is really getting going and yeah, the yeah. mystery is starting to get going. It's like, oh, Kevin Spacey is going to be the one to figure you, it out. It's definitely unexpected. And boom, he dies. And, and yeah, at the same moment, you find out like, oh my, Dudley is the guy. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, all- the farmer from Babe? I mean, that's what, you're, that's what, you know, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's what Dave I, was thinking. At the time. So I mean. shocking for Dave at this point. <laughs> and I think, but I, th- I think also, and I think it's a brilliant mechanic, the Rolo Tomasi name and that mechanic, the way he says it. And of course he asks mm-hmm. about it and that just makes mm-hmm. Guy Pierce, it sets in motion Guy's, Guy Pierce's investigation because he's like, why would he know that? Right. And I think that was, like, that was tricky. Brilliant. The whole, that whole, that the way they set that up, I think mm-hmm. it was just a great, unique way of doing it. Right. And I, I did, I did, I was interested in that name Rolo Tomasi. So I looked it up. I LA Confidential Rolo Tomasi and, and there's this writer on the internet named Simon Kinnear who has this long essay about LA Confidential and he talks about Rolo Tomasi and he says I quote as a movie twist it's one of the great shocks of the 1990s Kevin Spacey uh, coming off of the usual suspects and seven two big movies that kind of made him a star is by far the film's biggest star but now he's dead with 45 minutes still left uh, in the movie 
uh, and the killer is the farmer from Babe. So what's going to happen now? So it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting, and it's also that whole Rolo Tomasi thing, reading more about this. James Elroy is the author of the book that this movie is based on. Uh, there's actually, it, it, Rolo Tomasi is a way of condensing a lot of other things that supposedly took place in the book. And this is part of like a series of four books. So by having Rolo Tomasi be this kind of like, um, imagined, imagined yeah. thing that, An that uh, Guy, Guy Pierce's character has, like he's the guy who gets away with it, right? Uh, it kind of condenses a lot of uh, backstory, you know, like his, the story of his father, the story of what happened, like what happened to Kevin Spacey and how he got to this point, and um, a lot of the uh, kind of dealings. I think maybe in previous books you you, you might have known who that. Uh, that Captain Smith was was a villain, but uh, having all these other things happen and then the whole Rolo Tomasi thing happen, kind of uh, is kind of a tricky way of of having this twist uh, thing happen in the middle of the movie. So, and I, I do want to say this actually, and I was pleasantly surprised. I was under the impression that when he said Rolo Tomasi, I'm like, oh wait, is he the guy that also killed Guy Pierce's father? Hmm. And I thought for like half the, the it's rest just of the a made up name. It's, it's just... right, well, no, no, but I thought he might have been the guy. I know that's obviously not, not really his name, but I thought maybe he was the guy who killed uh, Exley's father. Who I'm like, uh, oh, Dudley. Dudley? I'm like, oh, uh, that would that would kind of make sense. He was, could have been, but I don't think that's the case. I think he's just no, Tomas, no. We don't know who he is. He's just the guy right. that got away with it. And mm-hmm. I, I like that. That it wasn't. Right. I think that's a typical Hollywood move. Is to like, oh, the father was the guy who also right. did this, and right. like. It's, I, I like that. It's a, it's a device that lets you connect that uh, Kevin Spacey death to Guy Pierce understanding what happens, and, then, and it didn't you know, have to be everything thing. ties perfectly together. Where the Dudley is also the, the, the father killer, and he's going to get revenge by getting hit. Like one other thing know. that scene does that's really interesting in my perspective. That's a little bit different too. Is it like you said, Mike? It reveals the fact that Dudley is the villain of the movie, but it reveals that with you know how much more an hour and fifteen minutes left in the movie, or forty five minutes yeah, left in the movie. Yeah. I feel like in other film noirs or detective stories or mystery stories, you don't find out who that big bad guy is until the last mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes. It's a very Scooby-Doo kind of thing. Right. Oh, I would have yeah, gone away yeah. from but, it. Got, but, got away with it. But not yeah. at all. You know, it, it becomes a bit of dramatic irony at that point because you know that he's evil, but Bud does not know that. Mm-hmm. And Exley at that point doesn't know mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. I think that actually makes it more interesting. Right. Especially There's still suspense the scene there. where Bud White is being used to... Um, pretend to beat up on uh, Danny, Danny DeVito's DeVito. character right, because yeah. he's not in on it even mm-hmm. and they're using they, it's all manipulation and so mm-hmm. forth so I think that's very interesting as well mm-hmm. um, I think actually it's funny the more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to like really dig the movie I think that it just the slow start was hard for me to overcome mm-hmm. but I think that this is actually a it's a very impeccably well-made movie. Yeah. At the end of the and, day. And it's weird because Curtis Hansen, I mean, we should talk a little bit about him. Well, he's he, not a guy that is known as a big famous, in terms of an auteur, he's not right. that guy. He made this movie and that, this, that's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a settled, you know, deal. He's, he's, he's a great director because he made this movie. Obviously, it was really well-directed. He actually followed this up with another really well-directed, a really good movie called Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas. So he was having, um, you know, kind of a decent career, I think, up until this point. He made The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. He made uh, Bad Influence, this movie with Rob Lowe and James Spader. And then... Uh, oh, he made The River Wild. And The River Meryl, Wild. Meryl Streep. Yeah. It's the, an action uh, movie about whitewater rafters that yeah. I have a strong affection for for some reason. <laughs> it's, it's not a, a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. No, it's just, it's, like, it it's a good action movie with Kevin Bacon, I believe, plays Kevin the villain. Kevin Bacon, yeah, yeah. And, and J- David Strathairn is also in that and movie. And he plays the husband character. And basically, they get commandeered. It's, it's a really dumb plot because no. a bunch of guys get commandeered on the raft right. on the river. But it's a good movie. I like it. Yeah, it's almost like they said, okay, so speed was good. So what can we do that on a river? Speed, <laughs> water, right. speed on a raft. Yeah. Um, and then he also directed 8 Mile, which I'm a big fan of, actually. Yeah, you're right. That's a, um, not a bad movie. But then he followed it up with In Her Shoes, which is a, uh, a mediocre romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lucky You, which is not a good movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chasing Mavericks, the recent movie with um, <laughs> Gerard Butler. Yes. So like a lot of directors, he kind of has his peak. And he, you know, most directors Decline. don't have the kind of Scorsese career where they kind of climb and climb. And, like, and then make a really awful movie. Called Hugo. Oh, and, uh, oh my God. <laughs> wow. A completely warrior. unraveled movie about all kinds of stuff and no one knows what it's about and kids are robot and what the hell. Wow. So anyway. It's about movies, Mike. <laughs> it's a movie about movies, but it's not about movies. No, it's about, just, not the first this. half. Hugo was my favorite movie of the oh, year. David, stop. <laughs> stop, Dave. So LA Confidential. Scorsese's so, not listening. Yeah, you're, okay. you're good at getting us off track here, Mike. Um, so... 
Yeah, but he was, uh, he, I think he did a, a pretty great job doing this movie. It was almost like uh, his career had been building, even if we couldn't see it in his work. I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, this was like his chance to make like, okay, we got this great script. We got these great actors. We got these actors that nobody knows, but they're great. And they're going to know they're great. Um, you know, <laughs> and it's like, uh, so can you do this? And, like, <laughs> and he's like, yes, I can do this. And he, I mean, I really think he just kind of knocks it out of the park. And uh, I think if it weren't for Titanic and the juggernaut that was that movie, this would have gone a I think lot this would have this yeah. would have been a best picture winner most most likely. It would have not been that what it Titanic matters. was. Titanic wasn't there. Yeah, right. It would have been the best picture of that year, which is Oscars. really a shame because I I think this is so much better than Titanic. Yeah, like, I would say really, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. And a lot of people, it, it's, it's pretty hip to diss on Titanic, and I'm, I'm not one of the. No, people I don't that, think it's a bad movie. I just think comparatively, this is a much better movie. Yeah. It's a shame that. Yeah. You know, no, I, I, I agree with you, Dave. Like, I think it's kind of annoying that people diss on Titanic as much as they do. It's actually mm-hmm. it's a well made movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just too long, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, James Cameron obviously knows what he's doing. You know. Right. Right. And you can understand why they went with you know the the awards kind of went with Titanic that year. And if you look if you look back. Um, you know, as opposed to this movie, which, you know, is the kind of movie that film nerds were going to like more than like the, the pop, you know, it's not going to be a pop movie, really. Well, right. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. what were your, uh, you, Dave, you mentioned that you did not like certain performances in the movie. What are you referring to exactly? I think you said you couldn't uh, remember I mean, them conveniently. Not, not, not certain performances, but there were just certain notes that didn't, didn't come across as true uh, to me. And I, and, I, and I think what I was saying that I was referring to the Kim Basinger and Guy Pearce scene. Yeah. And because that's a big kind of turning point in the movie. And I felt like that, that doesn't quite work. I, never, I didn't really kind of buy it back then. I don't really buy it now. Uh, I understand what's. The, I, I understand why it had to happen to the plot point, but I, don't, I didn't buy right. it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Danny DeVito is an actor who I was like, oh, we should talk about Danny DeVito. But I think he's I think he's he's like always he's really good at being Danny DeVito, but he's not really good at being much more like, he, you know, I, I agree. Like yeah. I watch him. He kind of pulls me out of the movie like, oh, I know it's Danny DeVito doing his thing. You know, it's like uh, maybe Jack Black or something. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. it's like they're really good. At, 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 they have a lot of charisma, but it doesn't really, you know, it kind of pulls me out where we're watching, uh, you know, the other actors. Especially when you, when you contrast with everybody else who's a lot more realistic. And right. A lot more, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I remember back when I saw it, I was like, Kim Basinger, she's, I guess she's good, but she really deserved the best supporting actress. I agree entirely. Okay. She thinks she, I think she's fine, but right. I don't think yeah. that anything about her role is... And, she's fine. I, I think she's fine. Yeah. I don't actually think she's that attractive in the movie, to be honest with you. Really? Because she... I disagree really, with that, but uh, she's... I've been really the shirt, the boobs, nothing. <laughs> oh, didn't do anything I mean, for you. This we didn't turn wrong. you into a man. <laughs> no, Jennifer Connelly did that. We discussed. That's this. true. That's true. Um, no, I mean her boobs are great. Don't get me wrong, but I just I don't know. She just she doesn't do it for me. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean it's it's not. I, I agree with you. I, yeah, I don't. I mean it's <laughs> kind of a cold, a little bit of a cold performance, I guess. I mean it's 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 fine. I, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't remember who else was nominated that year, but I understand why they wanted to give it to her because she's this actress that's been she'd been around at this point long enough and but her uh, career, this is a think really about, really good movie I feel so. like but this is uh, talking about peaks and careers mm-hmm. after this movie Kim Basinger sort of went away in a lot of in a lot, a lot of respects. she had just had kids I think and so but she's just I mean this was her like this was very much a career defining moment for her sure. and then after that she kind of just sure. faded away mm-hmm. um, and I, I just don't think the performance is um, maybe maybe because the performance isn't showy it's not and that's that's partially a credit to the movie, but it's not like it's a it's not a big performance. It's very. Yeah, I think her role isn't necessarily like it's not. You compare it to everybody else. It's the character is okay. Yeah. So no. I mean, <laughs> after the credits roll, after the credits roll, does Bud White live a happy life with her in no. Arizona, or is that does that relationship work out? I think it does. I think it does because I think he he says something to her that he's never told anybody else. I feel like she does have some something of a restorative, curative effect on him in some way. Mm. Um, I bought it, I, and strangely enough, I, I tend to not buy a lot of romances. I, I I feel like oh, this is just supposed to happen. I get it. I, I bought that more than other ones. I think, and um, I think maybe it's just the way she's what, how she describes it to. Um, excellent. I mean, in, in some way, like you know, people falling in love, you really can't. Sometimes it happens in real life, and you don't buy it. You're know, like, "There's no way. I don't see it at all." Hmm. I think she was able to reason it well enough. Where I'm like, you know, I, I I could see why she would like this guy because he is different, and I think he doesn't like. He doesn't see her as this lookalike celebrity. All the reasons she gave me, I was like, you know what? All right, 
Mm-hmm. I can see that now. I understand mm-hmm. that. Actually, to be honest, I get a little annoyed in, in movies where uh, women go for like the bad boy oh, character. Oh, yeah, me too. You know, Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, uh, and that's what this, it's, that's kind of what this is. It's like he's, but, he's. And that's what I like. Like she, go ahead, sorry. No, you know, he's, there's a lot, there's a lot, uh, there's obviously Russell Crowe is really good at kind of um, showing a lot with very little. I think he's very good at acting with, you know, with silence. So, uh, you know, he's kind of got this inner depth that you can see, you know, just his, this physicality to him. He, you know, he can, he can. He, he, he acts I and mean, he's fine when he speaks in movies obviously but but uh you know he's really i think his his real strength is is the way he conveys moments with with his uh kind of his body and you know like the way he's kind of he seems to be bursting out of his clothes like the way his arts his eyes dart ba- back and forth that's and, because he's and, fat well he was he certainly wasn't back then no, I mean, he, he was he was he was pretty uh, in pretty good shape but see uh, like that's what I, I i think this character for me is not the typical bad boy i think mm-hmm. he he has that exterior but there's a lot of scenes where you see a certain amount of um uh tenderness anytime mm-hmm. he's dealing with a battered woman he mm-hmm. always seems in fact yeah. there's one scene in particular when you see i think it's the when it's the woman that's tied to the bed, the Mexican woman, mm-hmm. and they kind of come in, the police come in. He mm-hmm. actually kneels down next to the bed. I think he's like touching her face, or he's right. caressing her, or something. Right. There's something very, right. very gentle. That's about right. It. Curtis Hansen doesn't skimp over like those important details. I think yeah, and it's, it's, it's like such, to show again, to like, show that kind of thing. I think yeah, it's, and it's a very, very easy thing to miss. It's very subtle, mm-hmm. and you might not even see it, you know, mm-hmm. the first time around. But like, I th- that's the kind of stuff that makes me believe that he isn't just this jackass. There's mm-hmm. a softer side to him. And, and, no, and, like, I think that his character yeah. definitely gets developed. Um, yeah. Especially when he tells the story about his mom and everything to Kim Basinger's character. Yeah. Um, I think that's all really well done. One thing I do want to touch upon before we close out. Uh, I got one thing too. Uh, yeah. Is how this movie is remembered. I don't feel like this movie gets put up. When people talk about great movies. I don't feel like this movie's in the conversation very often. Mm. Do you? Like, I mean, do you feel I like think you're movie... right. I think you're right. I think, I think yeah. not, not probably as much as I, maybe and, it should be yeah, and, and maybe that's because of Titanic coming out that same year or whatever mm-hmm. but people always you know bring up classics like Goodfellas and mm-hmm. The Godfather and, right. and movies like that and I don't feel like this movie ever gets put in that conversation and I think that's a shame because there is a lot here that's quite good mm-hmm. and um I just feel like this movie deserves to be um, venerated. A little I think when it comes to like writing, I think I think when you when you anytime I read about uh, screenplay structure and writing, I mean, I feel like I, you'll see mentions of this movie. But when it comes to just the overall uh, moviness of it, you, you would compare you would compare moviness. You would, moviness I like good. that word. You can compare you can compare this movie to, to something like Chinatown, and Chinatown has is much more I would, I would say stylish and is and, and that is a movie that you always see in like top ten, top twenty lists of the greatest movies of all time. And I think it's because, um, uh, along with the same, you know, quality script, quality acting, and you know, kind of um, uh, great things that you get from a movie like this, it also has. It's my wife upstairs coughing. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't um, anyone else can hear that. Do you want to go up and? Make no, 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 no. She's fine. She's like, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, Chinatown has a lot. Does a lot more with um, the actual visuals of the movie. I think so. It's it's more memorable in that sense. You're saying that, yeah, maybe Chinatown's a deeper movie, mm-hmm. but I I would put Chinatown and L.A. Confidential on the same level, and I think that if you asked a lot of film nerds about that, that they would consider that blasphemy, mm-hmm. um, because Chinatown is one of the most famous screenplays and famous movies of all time. But I think this movie is either equal to or better than it. So that's just my perspective on that Mike you had one more thing you wanted to say yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a little bit longer it's not a quick point I just wanted to talk a little about the color choices in the costume oh, yeah. one quick color mention I'm sorry but so while, guys, while, while, while we're talking about Chinatown I'm sorry to interrupt um, there, there, was, there was one reference I couldn't help but noticing the tape on the nose the uh, the actresses who have all the tape on the nose I felt mm-hmm. like that had to be a reference oh, to, you're talking to about Jack the, Nicholson with his tape yeah, on yeah, like yeah. There's a, he's famous for having yeah, he gets yeah. cut in the movie and he has he's tape he's on too nosy yeah yeah almost the whole movie yeah, man, it's just too nosy, man. Sorry. Symbolism. Yeah. Uh, color so, symbolism. Colors. Okay, let's just, let's just get through this real quick. Ivan is not interested. Guys, if no, you're going to go to I'm the bathroom interested. now, now's your opportunity. No, I want to know. No, okay. Um, well, it, it, the palette, for the most part, is like three major colors. It's green, brown, and red. Red is the only saturated color for the most part. There's a couple exceptions to that, but it's red of blood is everywhere. Okay. The title is red. Mm-hmm. Um and aside from that, everything else is very drab, I'm very to think desaturated. That first um, prostitute, she's wearing a red dress in the car, right? I do not remember. I don't remember. Anyway, I sorry. was going through. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the key moments is a lot of red at key places for basically for all the blood, and all the murders, etc. Um, green and brown are like it's basically the tints of everything. Everyone's wearing brown. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Bud's wearing brown. He's got a brown tie, brown suit. 
Um, the police precinct is tinted green. Mm-hmm. It's white walls tinted green, which I think kind of like the, you know, the, the idea of white purity, cleanliness, but everything mm-hmm. is sickly, nothing's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and brown, the idea of like dirt, I think mud, that kind of stuff. And if you think about it, when you first meet all of the characters, you meet Bud, he's got brown, uh, brown suit, brown tie, because he's kind of working in the dirt. He's just kind of, he's, a, he's, a, uh, he's got his hands in the mud, he's not afraid to get dirty, mm-hmm. but he's not, there's no green on him, he's not sickly, he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of he's got himself together but he's just kind of he's not afraid to get dirty etc um when you first meet what's his name Exley, he's wearing his uniform which mm-hmm. is again is very is, is in his blues you know he looks very it's mm-hmm. all he's all about appearances it's all about looking the role looking mm-hmm. you know uh very neatly uh, uh crisp clothes mm-hmm. he's got his glasses on the glasses play a big role they keep telling him to take off his glasses mm-hmm. um and uh Hey, what else? Yeah, you look too much like Rick Moranis, man. <laughs> Take those glasses off. Well, what's interesting is that I mean, even the glasses play a pivotal role in the story as far as his character goes. Like mm-hmm. he keeps them on, and then when he first decides to start worrying a bit more about appearances, his glasses come off, mm-hmm. and he can't see as clearly. He literally says, "I lost sight of why I became a cop." Mm-hmm. Um, and then the minute he decides to go off on his own and start figuring things out and do things for the right reasons, glasses mm-hmm. go back on. That reminds me of a, of a really then, good scene between him and Kevin Spacey before. Uh, Kevin Spacey's yes, demise when they're talking about it, just, yeah. you know, it's a really strong small scene and, and I love the way Kevin Spacey you know he asks him Kevin Spacey says why did you become a cop oh, yeah. and Kevin I Spacey says don't I don't remember. know and then, you know they to, I don't know and, and uh, it, I think it's a good little scene that kind of sums up the movie I think because yeah. uh, it's it's really what it's about it's like these guys are just doing this thing and they don't quite know why they're doing it and, yeah. and it's like this is a chance for them to kind of rediscover why they're here in the first place I think yeah, um, yeah. And I, and, but I like what you're saying about all the production design yeah, and costume yeah. stuff I think and he puts, it, at the end he puts the glasses takes the glasses back off when he accepts his accolades because mm-hmm. it's kind of in his character he wants the recognition and he wants the order and like mm-hmm. I want to become the, the uh, lieutenant detective so his glasses kind of come back off because he really does care about appearances at mm-hmm. the end and I feel um, like this movie does I mean if you if you look at the movies that kind of followed this that you know I feel like this was a relatively influential movie in terms of like um, TV and movies like uh, I can think of maybe The Departed um, I think I wrote down a couple other movies that I think uh, that you might remember like oh yeah you wouldn't uh, you might not have seen this had it not been for LA Confidential um, but I can't think of anything at the moment but I did want to mention one other quick thing did you guys know that this was a TV show also it's on the Blu-ray no. they, they actually made a pilot with Kiefer Sutherland pre-24 uh, after the movie oh. came out after the movie came out before 24 so and between it was 97 be and 2001 it was Police yes. drama, yes. essentially. And you can actually see it, I think, for free online. Those interested can wow. see Keeper Sutherland How in his early Jack Bowers. <laughs> no, it was, it was just the pilot. The oh, pilot no, didn't get, a pilot. The pilot wasn't picked up. But there is a pilot with Keeper Sutherland wow. playing, I think, the you guy know, Pierce character. To be honest with you, I think that could make an interesting, that could have been an interesting uh, show. You know, it's, it, yeah. Yeah. it's an interesting time period. It's an interesting milieu. It would have been an expensive show to make, which is probably why it didn't get picked up. But, but again, because, I, think, I, I think, I don't know. I don't think anything about this necessarily is unique. Again, I think it's a character for me that really makes this movie memorable and I think if you can't have those characters and actors that combination I would say mm-hmm. for me eh. right. well then it just becomes another cop drama exactly. that happens to be in the, in the 50s, 50s. Exactly. Right. Uh, so that's a good point right. um, yeah anything else you guys want to say uh, oh, real quick! Did you notice? Uh, I think the guy's name is uh, Simon Baker. Is the, the mentalist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah he was the, he? the he's the guy who the gets his actors. Oh, he's the well, gay. He's, actor well, he's, well, he's not killed. gay, but he's, oh, he's bi, I guess, because he's. Uh, uh, I think he's just doing what he's doing to to oh, get I out of his drug bust. Gay. I think he's just. I think he's just trying to get out of his drug bust. Pardon me, gentlemen. It's a. It's a bad phone day. Um, <laughs> Mine, let me just take mine off silent, and if we're all join the party here. Um, no, I think. I think you know. So Simon Baker's uh, character is, is like arrested for pot, which is such a big, huge deal, right? <laughs> right, right. At the beginning of the movie, and and then uh, to, in order to get out of it, Danny DeVito sets him up to kind of get dirt on the um, that one lawyer the character, guy, yeah. the DA guy, who's covering up the whole scandal of uh, the drug whatever that's going on and that's something that's interesting about this movie we talked a lot about the characters and a lot of the things about this movie but the story of this movie there's just so many roads to go down you could spend a whole podcast talking about just this aspect of of the movie and you know it's it's almost like like I've been saying the plot isn't nearly as important as the characters the characters kind of support the plot and uh, this movie would be complete waste of time if the characters and the acting I mean that they wasn't so strong so yeah. you know we'd just be like ah, okay alright so I understand how this is connected to this and this is connected to that but I don't care because I don't care what happens next yeah. this movie makes you really care about what happens next yep, yep. yeah if, if 
uh, if you take anything away from this podcast, my suggestion would be go back and revisit L.A. Confidential because, again, I don't feel like this movie gets the play that it does. And if you mm. haven't seen it, it's, it does. I think it holds up significantly well I, as long as you can get through that first 30 minutes. If you stick with it, I promise it will be rewarding. Yeah. Um, yeah so any final thoughts before we close out? Uh, I just uh, wanted to mention that I that I know I, I like the the fact that the song that ends the movie is called is uh, this old song called um, Accentuate the Positive. Have you noticed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of it kind of ties into the movie a little bit. I mean, because yeah. the movie's about like, okay, so we're gonna kind of brush this other crap under the uh, the carpet, and we're gonna just you know accentuate the positive. You know, he's mm. there is no know, truth. There is, yeah, right. It's all lies. So I thought, <laughs> thought that was kind of interesting. A cool final, uh, uh, final. The main titles were by Pablo Ferro, who's a who's a famous um, a title oh. designer. Who for you think about that title sequence is um, for the time that was actually a pretty unique title sequence. Is yeah. the way it moved through the newspaper headlines and yeah. so forth. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. And Pablo Ferro is most famous for doing the Doctor Strange love titles and a lot of hand drawn kind of look in the sixties oh, and seventies. That. That's cool. So he's uh, yeah, you can you can I think he's he's got a feature on artofthetitle.com that you can uh, which is a fantastic more. website. Yeah, yeah by the way, that we really mentioned is. before. I think yeah. Uh, Speaking of titles, did you notice after the credits? Did anyone let it play after the credits? Yes, uh, you see uh, yeah. the tribute to Kevin Sp- uh, Jack Vincennes, Kevin Spacey's yeah. character. Yeah, so a little bit a little bit of redemption for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, what happens? At the end they show the show. What's what's the name of that, that TV uh, show? Oh, the show that it's, he's it's, a, it's like the Dragnet show. The show that he's a consultant on in the movie. Yeah, it starts up, and I guess the opening or closing credits something like dedicated Jack Jack yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool actually yeah. yeah yeah so all in all a good time at the movies uh, yeah. quote Dave I would put this on my shelf <laughs> this is this is like a good for you movie that is also a lot of fun to watch I mean yeah. there's a lot of badass moments in this movie yes. I'll just close it there yeah yeah there is actually um, yeah so closing out uh, I think next episode is my choice and I've chosen Top Gun <laughs> All the, right. Uh, the highest a, gun. That is I feel a Tony, the need. That is a Tony Scott film, right? It is a Tony Scott movie. Tony yeah. Scott We've film. done Ridley Scott, now we're doing Tony Scott. So, uh, Any other Scots we can collect here? Uh, well, Tony Scott's no longer living, so... Yeah. No, no, no. I can't think it's of any okay. Scott. It's okay, still collect them. Uh, so we're doing that next time, because I've never seen it, which is crazy, That's I know. That's awesome. I've never heard I've uttered those words before in uh, my life. Yeah. It's, it's going to take your breath away, may oh I just say. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, where can people find you on the internet, Mike? Uh, you can find me at. Uh, or do you not want to find You can find Mike in this. the danger zone. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, strong. to it. Dave is just so on fire tonight. David, this is. I hope people tune in. This is David in rare form. Uh, I'm at, uh, at Mike Mirandi uh, on Twitter and then MikeMirandi.com. And Dave? Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, or DaveGlanzProductions.com. Boom. And uh, I am at Lucky9Studios.com. I write for a website called ShortOfTheWeek.com. You can view dot my... Com. Dot com. And uh, Twitter at Ivan Kanders. And uh, we should mention our podcast, the reviewed one, the one you've been listening to, can be found <laughs> at ReviewedPodcast.com. Wait, this one? Yeah, this one. Facebook.com slash ReviewedPodcast. And uh, email us at contact at reviewpodcast.com and also leave us an iTunes review. So I guess that's it. Until next time, we'll, uh, we feel the need for speed. <laughs> oh, man. Is that how we're going to close this out? Is that, that the final Hush, note? hush, people. Hush, hush. Keep it on the QT and very hush, hush. <laughs> okay, that was a good ending. Yeah. Okay. You do. Sound damn sexy? You do. All right. I have an audience to please. Pop, sir. pop. Okay. Oh my god. Just stop. <laughs> You're like children. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. How do I sound? <laughs>